Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Every single rejection letter that you get is an archival document of the effort that you have put in there to make your idea happen. It's a really important document, guys. Really, really important. So celebrate your rejections. Applying for grants can be a long process, but they can be a great way to find funding for your podcast. In this episode, Juleka Lantigua-Williams talks about how to figure out which grants to apply for and shares some of the lessons that she's had to learn the hard way. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. This presentation was part of I Know How to Do That, a series of hands-on workshops led by leading hosts and producers where they share tips, stories, and knowledge about all aspects of podcasting. Good morning, Brooklyn. Hi, beautiful ones. I pace, so I really cannot even pretend to stand behind that thing. I will come back and forth and caress the computer as necessary. Um, thank you, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, is everybody having a good time so far? Yeah. Yes, I know this is my first work it, and I'm like, when's the next one? <laughs> so I'm, I'm very, very excited. Um, my name is Juleika, should have said that when I started. I am allowed to talk to you about grant writing because I have written grants, I have been rejected for grants, and I have received grants. So, multiplicity of experiences. Um, but more importantly, I'm a big, big advocate in spending other people's money to do good work. You feel me, right? Yes. Um, and I've also, you know, just feel like, I know this is a cliche, but if, if I can get a grant, you can get a grant. Honestly, you really can. It, there aren't a lot of us asking for grants, and this is part of the secret to getting the grant, that mm, probably a lot of you have never even thought about getting a grant. And then how are they gonna know that you deserve to get a grant, right? So today, I hope that we do two things. One, I hope that I encourage you to go out and apply for grants, and two, I wanna demystify a little bit about the process of grant making. All right, so a little bit about that chick. She is my representative. Um, she spent 18 years in legacy media, uh, everything from Random House to The Atlantic to NPR, did a bunch of magazines, edited books, all kinds of things. Um, and then last year, she came to the conclusion that she doesn't play well with others, and she'd rather <laughs> build her own sandbox and invite her friends to play with her. And so she, <laughs> literally. So she started her own company, um, and it's been unbelievable um, in the very literal sense, like I can't believe the amazing year that we've had. Um, we have launched uh, four original podcasts, and we have assisted in the production of four other uh, podcasts. Um, and. I want to do more, basically. This is the most addictive thing that I've ever done. And like my, my, my vision, my dreams, my daydreams do not fit the hours of the day. Uh, but I am pacing myself. So really quickly, um, our original podcast, our, our first one was Shot Caller, which is really fun. It's somebody has heard Shot Caller. Oh, I love you. Um, 
It is a podcast hosted by a master um, cocktail. Uh, no, the, she has a mixologist, a master mixologist in New York City, and uh, a pop culture writer. And it's all about high-end liquor culture. We talk to distillers, we talk to sommeliers, we talk to people who know so much about everything related to high-end liquor. And every show includes a craft, one-of-a-kind craft recipe cocktail. That's the best part of the show. So if you want to know where that is, just fast forward to like minute 23. Um, <laughs> Latina to Latina uh, is a show that we, uh, that we launched, we helped launch at Bustle last summer, and then Bustle passed on it basically after they did a, a pilot season. So Alicia Menendez, uh, the creator, and I decided We'll take it. So we now own it, um, and it is being produced. It's weekly. It's incredible interviews with the most amazing Latina women across multiple industries, and it's it's just amazing the feedback that we've gotten. People are like calling and crying, saying that they wish they had had this. They're making their daughters listen to it. They're making their mothers listen to it, and. It's wonderful. Um, we are producing Key Conversations. We launched this for Phi Beta Kappa, which by the way, I keep telling people to register on the airmedia.org talent directory. Please, please register on the airmedia.org talent directory. They found me and hired me because I was listed on that directory, okay? It, I cannot emphasize how important it is for you to be out there in sort of like a network that is legit that other people can come and find, find you. Um, and then lastly, but definitely not leastly, our biggest show that we've done so far is 70 Million. And 70 Million is an original show that I conceived um, looking at how criminal justice change is being done from the ground up. And so I had just come off of being the, uh, the criminal justice reporter at The Atlantic, and it's something I'm very, very passionate about because as many of you know, it's modern-day slavery. It's legalized modern-day slavery. And so um, I was just really incensed with the more I wrote, the more I reported on it. And so when I started my company, I knew that this was something that we were going to take on. And so um, I sent a cold email to the MacArthur Foundation. I did, because I'm ballsy like that. Um, <laughs> And I also know, you know, probability. 50-50 chance someone's gonna say yes or no to everything. So I was like, I like those odds. So I sent a cold email to someone I had met two years before through my Atlantic work and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm that reporter who's been covering criminal justice for a while. I know that you guys like to do stuff for criminal justice. I have an idea for you. I've been checking out what you guys have been doing around the country. I think it's super interesting but I think you need to reach the masses, and I think I know how you can do that. Then I went, and I was like, oh God, this is just, you know, a, just a prayer that you send up. I got an email the same day, passed out, and the person was like, of course I remember you, you did excellent work, blah, 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 I'm traveling for two weeks, let's set up, I'll have my secretary set up a call. Set up the call, and then for two weeks, I basically acted like I was gonna defend my doctoral thesis on criminal justice, <laughs> literally. There, was, there wasn't anything that had happened in the previous six months on criminal justice that I was not up on. My, stati my statistics were on, I had all kinds of cheat sheets in front of me on my desk, like I was ready to present this idea. I also had at that point really, really mapped out what the idea was gonna look like. 
So I get on this call, and I thought I was going to talk one-on-one -on -one to this person. She puts me on speaker, and there are four other people in the room. So I had not visualized that, right? I, I was doing a lot of visualization to get ready for this phone call. That is not how I visualized it. But hey, I got one shot, right? So of course, thank you so much. I write down everybody's name and sort of like try to figure out where in the room they are. And we go into it, we have the conversation. I have everything in front of me. They're asking all kinds of questions about podcasts. The youngest person in the room is a, a journal, someone from the journalism division who had sort of been in media a little bit. She understood, she listened to podcasts, she was like 30. And so she kept basically, it was wonderful because she kept translating to them in the room what I was explaining, um, and it was great. And so they, they liked the concept for the show very much, um, and they liked the idea of reaching the masses because most of their work really is focused on people who, they're preaching to the choir, right? And I sort of said that. I said, you, you guys know this about your work. You're preaching to the choir, and we need to reach the masses. And so they said, okay, why don't you send us a concept paper? And I was like, bet. I did not know what that was, but I have Google. So I said, yes, when is this concept paper due? <laughs> and they were like, well, how about in a month from now? And I was like, absolutely, thank you so much. Uh, I am so excited about the possibility of writing this concept paper for you. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm gonna go dive into this concept paper. Have a wonderful weekend. Google, what is a concept paper plus PDF? Oh, this is a trick that journalists use all the time. When you're doing a Google search, add a plus sign on the word PDF to it. It cuts out a bunch of crap, and then it brings up documents that are actually more legit, um, because they're usually done by institutions and people who are actually knowledgeable about what they're doing. So I, I do my usual trick, and I'm like, OK, concept paper, what is that? So the concept paper is basically Five pages, 10 max, I would keep it to five, uh, where you use a slightly academic, slightly marketing writing style, and this is really important, really, really important, right? This is not a PR play, okay? This is not a sales pitch. This is really an intellectually engaging uh, dialogue with your potential funder, right? So you don't wanna start off by saying, I'm gonna write the next serial. This is not what you, this is not gonna work, right? I'm gonna write the next daily. You're not gonna do that, right? And they're not going to they're not going to pay you to produce that. What you want is to write something that says to them, I have found a way to amplify your values and your message digitally using audio storytelling, using innovative storytelling telling techniques, and in a way that is accessible and free to the public, right? That has to be way at the top of your proposal, right? Because most of these foundations want something that will reach the masses. Why? Because it makes them look good that they're educating the public. Most of them exist solely for that reason. And so this is where data comes in. I talked a little bit about data in yesterday's presentation, but ladies, I cannot emphasize how important it is for you to use data, right? So right after you sort of give the summary paragraph about what the podcast is, you have to go into 
12% of Americans, 12 and older, have listened to a podcast, or have, whatever the percentage is, have listened to a podcast in the last 12 months. On average, women listen seven and a half hours a week, blah, 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 blah. You have to go into that, because to most of them, they've never listened to a podcast, they've never heard of a podcast, okay? Then the, the next obvious question is, well, why you? right? Why are you the right person to do this, right? And this is a, a little bit tricky. In my case, it was really is easy. I already had a track record covering criminal justice. I had just come from NPR being uh, the head producer at Code Switch. And, you know, I could say, well, I happen to have existed, you know, at the cross-section of criminal justice and digital audio for the last two years. And so I think that qualifies me. But more importantly, I know how to translate information for the public, right? This is where you have to show off those skills, right? And you have these skills, right? You have the ability to translate complex information for mass consumption. You've got to put that in there. You've got the ability to find a central character that you can utilize to tell a universal story, you've gotta put that in there. You have the ability to talk to people for hours at a time and then synthesize that into the most useful information. These are the things that make you stand out because you've been doing this, right? So you've gotta put that in the why me part of the proposal. The next thing the concept paper is going to ask is basically, is someone else doing this also and how are they doing, right? So these are called comps in most you know, presentations. So you've gotta go look at other places, um, whether it's podcasts, whether it's online, whether it's in TV, whether it's documentaries. So my comps were 13, the documentary by Ava DuVernay. That was one of my comps, and I was like, that was amazing, right? And this is exactly the kind of investigative work that we, that we need to be doing. Another one of my comps was Reveal. They've done some really fantastic work uh, in criminal justice reporting. I put that in there. And every time, with every one of my comps, I would say this is why they're amazing, but this is how my show will be different, right? This is the most important part of that. Because you could probably list you know, 25 places that have touched upon the thing that you want to be doing. But what you have to do is with every single one of them is remind them, but they're missing something. And that something is what I'm gonna bring to the table, right? And so I was really uh, thorough in that part of the, of the concept paper. The next part of the concept paper is gonna be the how. How are you gonna do this, right? Like, is this gonna be you and a mic out in the field? Is this gonna be you and a producer and an editor? Is this Here, it's really, really important for you not to short sell, sell yourself short not to sell yourself short. And admittedly, I did that when I put in the grants. I will admit to it. And it cost me, it literally cost me because my company ended up having to put more money into the show, which you know, I was prepared to do, but I did not anticipate all of the areas in which I was going to need support. You've gotta list everything on there, right? Like legitimately stuff, 
right? So travel money, studio money, uh, you know, honoraria for when your producers are out in the field. You know, the, the rate that I give my producers is $25 when you're in your own city, $50 when you're not in your city for food, coffee, whatever you need, right? You've got to put in there for equipment. I did not have a line for equipment. No, that IRO was for me. Why did I not have a line for equipment? Because I was like, well, I'm gonna hire these freelancers. They're gonna have their own equipment. Yes, but they did not have the best equipment, right? I did not have a line in there for graphic design. Wow, I know. <laughs> Again, you've gotta put everything in there. And there's a handout uh, that kind of looks like this which is a pretty much nuts and bolts of uh, what you should have in there. Okay, this is a list which you guys will get. I'm not gonna go through the list. It's a sample list. There are hundreds and hundreds of foundations, uh, private funders, all kinds of people who are ready to give you grants. So I've got links to it in there. All this stuff is in there for you guys to look at. Um, there's some incubators also that you should be applying to. Oh, the other thing is uh, that you need to do is you have to apply and apply and apply again. You really do, because this is what happens. Uh, you send in your application the first year, it's very competitive, you don't make it. You send it in the next year and the people go, oh, I remember, she sent in an application last year and it was great, aha. You just gave yourself an advantage, right? The other thing that happens is that when funders plot out their funding year, they make some thematic decisions ahead of time, right? And so maybe your idea just wasn't right for the theme for that year. You have no way of knowing that. But maybe your idea is perfect for the theme next year, right? And funders don't care if you apply 17 times. They really don't care, right? Because they're looking at every single idea individually. So you've got to not take that rejection letter personally. I wrote a whole thing on Medium if you want to find it about how you should celebrate your, re your rejection letters because you, it means you're actually doing shit. Every no, literally, it is a document of your effort. Every single rejection letter that you get is an archival document of the effort that you have put in there to make your idea happen. It's a really important document, guys. Really, really important. So cele celebrate your rejections. Um, I keep all my rejection letters when they come in email. Um, so I don't do paper files. I just, I just made that decision when I started my company. I was like, I'm not filing anything by paper. Everything has to be uh, electronic. Um, we're gonna be a green company as much as we can. Okay, so, so we've got the why, the what, the who, the when, the timeline is really, really important, okay? Foundations work on a really slow calendar, okay? So there is no reason for you to say that you're gonna get this done in three weeks or in three months, right? Take your time, give yourself a realistic, right, timeline, and also give yourself a little bit of a buttress Right? So in case stuff happens, I had to kill three episode ideas during uh, the making of 70 million. One of them was, was really easy. When the proposal came in from the freelancer, it just wasn't there. Okay, here's your kill fee, right? Another one, we sent someone out into the field for a week. She did a bunch of interviews and the place that we wanted to include 
just really wasn't doing anything that we were like, it's not up, you know, it's not up to par. Had to kill that, right? So you've got to give yourself that room to do that. So if you're proposing, if you're asking for money for a pilot, don't give yourself less than six months to do a pilot. If you're asking for money to do a six to ten episode season, don't give yourself less than a year to do that. Okay? And then be, uh, when you, in the timeline that you submit, be very spacious, right? So in the timeline that I submitted, I did it in quarters. So in the first quarter of 2018, we're going to do these things in no particular order. In the second quarter of 2018, we're going to do these things in no particular order, right? Because they're not going to sit there and check it off as you're doing it. They just want to see that you have a clear path to success, right? So, so be very, very generous with that. Um, okay, so this one's going to be hard because I had to tell my, I had to have this conversation with myself. Um, when you're writing the grant, you have to write a role for yourself that is essentially a consulting role. You cannot be the editor. You definitely cannot be the producer or the mixer. You cannot be the writer. You cannot put yourself in the role of doing the most essential tasks. Why? Because your primary job, if you get a grant, is going to be grant administrator. Okay? And I know that that's really hard to hear because your idea might be about you. Your idea might be biographical. Your idea might be something that you've been nurturing and working on for so long. Well, guess what? You're going to have to find someone you trust with that and hand it over to them because you have got to, once you get this grant, you have got to continue to find more and more support so that your idea doesn't die after you do this, right? Because what you're getting is seed money, right? If you think about the VC world, when you get a grant, you're getting seed money. But you don't want to do this once. You don't just want to do a pilot. You actually want to launch this thing. And so you've got to remove yourself from those essential roles because your job is to keep the lights on. And that was super hard. And it will be super hard. Okay? It's not easy, but it is necessary. So I had to do that for myself, right? But it was very easy for me because I had other projects that required my attention. And I had clients at that point. So I was like, I can't throw myself into 70 million. I'm going to lose my clients if I do that, right? But so what I did was I made myself executive producer. Fancy title, right? And then once I found my wonderful editor, she and I created the production calendar, and we found three spots into which I would come into the process, right? And so I handed my baby over to her and the amazing team that I picked, and then at those particular spots throughout the production, I came in. So I came in once we got a full um, episode reporting proposal, and I read that, and I gave comments. Then I came in when we got the first rough of the script for the show with all the clips. I read through, listened to that, sent, sent comments to her. And I communicated directly to her. I did not communicate to, she, this is her team. I handed it over to her. So I communicated directly to her. So I came in at that point, at that point, I, I came in when we had the first mix. Right? I gave lots of feedback on that first mix. And then I came in like two mixes, two drafts later, when they felt like they were at the final one. And at that point, I'm just basically checking off. 
because I've given all my feedback, right? And so I still maintained oversight of the project, right? But I just made sure that I had meaningful interactions with the project at very particular points. And that worked really well for me. And it worked really well for my team because they did lots of things that they, they made a thousand decisions that didn't need to involve me, right? About music, about what's gonna be our you know, podcast theme, about which TV clip, I, I didn't need to be involved in those. I did not. And I had spent so much time selecting the team, I trusted them implicitly. So this is the other, the other big, big, big part of um, getting ready to do this, which is that you have to identify people who you trust with your ideas, right? You have to identify people who you will hand over your baby to, and you know that we'll be good stewards and that we'll be good parents to that baby. It's really, really important, especially if you're in a growth mentality where you're thinking, this is my launch show for something bigger. This is gonna be my signature show for the company that I wanna start. This is what's gonna get me you know, into Panoply or Pineapple or Spotify or whatever your end goal is for this thing. You need collaborators that you trust and you need collaborators that get what you're trying to do. Cannot, cannot really emphasize that enough. Okay, a word on funders um, that nobody told me and nobody tells you. Funders don't want to fund 100% of your project. Let me repeat that. Funders do not want to fund 100% of your project. I learned this later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't end up funding 100% of this because my budget was so poorly done that I ended up having to pay for, for parts of it, right? So what funders want is to, especially if you're asking for a substantial amount of money, right? Like we got $180,000 for the podcast. That's a substantial amount of money. What they want to see is that they will make a significant contribution to what you're creating, but that you're also gonna hustle and get other people to make contributions to it, right? And so for this, again, when you're creating your budget, you've gotta have an overall project budget, and then you've gotta have a budget specifically for what the funds you are requesting from that funder will cover. And there has to be a difference between those two. Between 15 and 20% is probably healthy, between 25 and 30% is probably better for the funder. Because even if they give you 70%, right, of your proposed necessary budget, they can say, okay, but now she's gonna go out and get the rest of it. Or, you know, she's already secured the rest of it, right? Which is why, although this is not what I did, again, hindsight, I would apply to multiple places for smaller grants. It's easier to write a check for $10,000 than it is for $180,000, right? And so I would put a budget together, let's say for a pilot. Let's use a pilot, a 30-minute uh, scripted, partly reported to host episode, right? I would put a budget of $30,000, for example, together for a pilot like that, right? That's a very generous budget, right? But again, you, you want to start a little high and then be scrappy when you only get $17,000, 
right? So that's what you want. So if I had a $30,000 budget for, two, for a pilot, two-person, partly reported uh, show, I would go to three or four funders and split my expenses accordingly, right? So if I have an organization, a grant that makes grants for, uh, you know, women in digital media, right, send them a nine to $12,000 ask, right? That's a good ask for someone like that. If I have a private foundation uh, that is specifically interested in health issues, and that's what my podcast is about, I would give, send them a budget of nine to twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, right? Because what's gonna happen is for each of them, in your proposal, you're going to list all the places where you have already applied. And they will say, oh, great. Well, if they go in for 12,000, I can see how easily we could come in for 9,000, right? Oh, oh, okay, so they're in the process of getting this. And I know that this foundation is likely to fund them because the other thing that you don't know until you get in on the other side of this world is that they all know each other. They all know each other, they email each other, they talk to each other, okay? So this is another really important thing. The MacArthur Foundation, because it is the MacArthur Foundation, knows everybody at Ford, knows everybody at night, knows everybody everywhere, right? At Google, at uh, the, the Microsoft Foundation, everywhere. They know everybody, right? And so if they see that you have already applied to and or identify all the potential sources, they might be calling that program officer and saying, hey, what are the chances that you guys are gonna fund this? Because we like it, we like it a lot. And, I, you know, and what they're asking seems really reasonable. So I think you know, we're, we're gonna put them on the slate. How are you guys feeling about it? These conversations actually happen, but you and I would never know that, right? And so this is another reason that you want to make sure that you have identified multiple sources for, uh, for your ask. Uh, because foundations don't want to fund 100% of it because their fear is that if they fund 100% of it and they can't fund you again next year, it dies. They don't want to fund things that die. They want to fund things that live on, that other people will come in and want to support. So that's really, really, really important. The other thing that's going to be really important for you guys, for you ladies, sorry, the patriarchy, The other thing that's gonna be really important for you, and I really don't know how to say this in a, in a non-New Yorker way, you have to show your faces. You have to literally show them your face, okay? Because what happens is that a grant officer looks at hundreds of grants, all printed in eight by 10, with black ink, 12, you know, they tell you how to, how to format it, you know, so Times New Roman, 12.5, black and white, single space, yada, 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 right? So what I did when I submitted my grant uh, application, I put in a whole sheet of all of the people I had already identified that would work and big ass pictures of them. Women of color, men of color, white people, gay people, old people with tans, people with curly hair, people with no hair. I had the mix in there. Why? Because I might have been the only grantee to do that. And when my grant officer 
comes to my grant, they go, holy moly, look at this gorgeous team she has assembled of experts that are going to help her with this vision that she has. True story, I was at MacArthur doing Third Coast. Um, I invited myself over uh, because I was like, hey, I'm gonna be over there for Third Coast. Let me pop in for lunch. And they were like, okay, weirdo. Um, no, I said, and I will give you, I called it, I will give you a midterm report. And they're like, ooh, we like this midterm report idea. Um, and so I prepared this really, really nice, well, with Kate, my marketing guru, and I prepared this really beautiful presentation about how the show was doing. Um, and as we were doing the presentation, of course, I always start with the beautiful picture of my team, because my team is gorgeous. And the program officer, white dude, says to me, you know what's really funny? And I said, what's really funny? Because um, whatever you say to me is going to be hilarious. Um, <laughs> listen, use all your skills, lady. All of them. I flirt indiscriminately. Plants, bartenders, women, children, ads. <laughs> all the skills. Um, so I'm like, what's funny? He's like, um, I was in a meeting with another foundation. Ding, 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 ding. And as an example of the kind of work that we want to support, I went to the 70 million website and I went to the page where you have your team. And he, and he, said, and he says to me, and I said to the person, this is what teams should look like now, literally. That was one of the best compliments that I have gotten in the last year, and I'm very proud of 70 million. But the fact that this program officer at MacArthur Foundation is using our team pictures on our website to say to other people, this is what a team should look like, one of the best moments of the last two years. Because I was so intentional. This is what, yes, clap. That, that deserves a clap, thank you. I was for my team. I was very intentional in doing that. And I was very intentional and a little bit sneaky in putting in their photos and bios when they didn't ask for them. I just was like, you need to see this because this matters. Um, so you can do that. You know, you can, you can be a little cheeky when you're doing that stuff because it's in a PDF. They're stuck with it, right? What are they going to do? Just scroll past it? Okay, scroll past it. No problem. <clears throat> so, then I, so then the other thing that is really, really important, which, again, they don't tell you, is to communicate, right? Uh, grant makers do not like to write a check and not hear from you for a year when the report is due. So I have this massive report due uh, February for how we spend their money and what we did. But I'm ready, why? Because we have a boatload of analytics, we did a listener survey, we did all kinds of things to assess and ascertain how we were doing. Um, and so we're ready for the report. So this is what I did throughout the year. We, um, part of the deal, oh, and you have to sign a contract, ladies. Okay, so this is the thing you need to know. A grant has a legally binding contract. You gotta read that. And if you don't understand it, you gotta read it with a lawyer, 
Okay, so spend the $250 in the consultation with the lawyer. Um, I didn't need to. I'd, I've been a paralegal in a formal life at a corporate law firm in New York. So like, and I've been a managing editor, so I've been around contracts my entire career. And um, the contract is really, really binding. Uh, very, very serious stuff. So when you get that, don't just sign it and send it back. You need to sit with it, you need to ask questions. Um, so for example, our contract uh, does not allow us to make any profit off of 70 million. I cannot make a penny off of 70 million. And that's good, that's fine with me. Because it's an open source podcast, it was always intended to be open source, it's for the public to utilize, right? However, it does not bar me from trademarking 70 million. So I've trademarked it, right? And I was very clear about asking this at the beginning, right? Because we could have a 70 million documentary. We could have a 70 million Amazon series. We could have a 70 million uh, series of workshops and instructions. I could build a curriculum around 70 million. What I kind of do is make money off of the podcast, right? So these are the kinds of things that are really, really important to know. Um, all right, I've got my 10-minute warning, so I would like to stop and take questions because that's way more important than any other anecdote that I can share with you. Uh, yeah, go to the mics, please. And I answer, ask the question really quickly so we can get as many as possible. Hi. Hi. I've been looking for grants um, for a podcast I want to start, um, but I've found that the vast majority of money available is not available to individual artists. It's yes. available to organizations. And I know you can partner with organizations, but I'm wondering about that process and do they get a lot of your money? No, no, so this is great. The okay. Perfect question. So one of the things I haven't, I haven't touched upon is called, something called fiscal sponsors. And again, I learned this this year. So fiscal sponsors are organizations that exist to be bridges between the creators and the grant makers. And they take between five and 10% off the top. But when you do your budget, you do a line item for the fiscal sponsor fee. Foundations see this every day, they're very used to paying that fee. So if you have a project, right? So for example, Women Make Movies, I'm an executive member, the company is an executive member of Women Make Films, and we are in talks with them about being our fiscal sponsor for a documentary, a separate one that I wanna make, right? So when I did my budget and my treatment for the documentary, I put in their 8% cut, right? Of my overall budget. Right? And so if you have an idea and you're not an LLC and you're not incorporated, see if you can find a fiscal sponsor. There are tons of them. There's a whole website dedicated to listing them and it's searchable by category and by theme. Okay? So find a fiscal sponsor that will sponsor your project through, and then you can ask. Um, for all kinds of grants that then they administer. With a fiscal sponsor, they get your money though. So just understand that. So they get your money, they're like your bank, and you submit uh, requisitions for advances on a budget or you submit receipts to be reimbursed. So that relationship is also contractual and you've gotta be very clear about the parameters of that relationship. But also partnering with, so again, I don't play well with others um, and so, I am always weary of partnering uh, with institutions, uh, just in general, and so I encourage everyone to just become an LLC, even if it's just your name, comma, LLC, because then you have legal standing, okay? And it costs like $250 on LegalZoom to do it. 
in most days through the Secretary of State uh, website, um, you can do it for less than that. Become an LLC. Uh, there are different ways that you can become an LLC, and it's just really important because legally you want to separate yourself from the work that you're doing and protect that work. All right, next question. Um, for concept papers, how much should they vary if you're applying to multiple foundations, and then if you're doing it uh, multiple years at a time, how much should you change it from year to year? So. Uh, you only do a concept, well first of all, if you haven't done a concept paper, you should do one for yourself. Because what happens is it forces you to get real clear, real quick about what your thing is and what it isn't. So that was one of the best things that happened to me last year, is that having to write this concept paper in a month really forced me to sit with my idea and really work through what I wanted it to be, what I didn't want it to be, where it was weak, where it was strong. So I recommend you do it. But if you're going to apply uh, to the foundation, I would refresh. Even if you're applying with the same uh, project year to year, I would refresh because you have to show that you continue to work on it. Okay. Even though you didn't get funding, right? And so, if you apply this year and you don't get and you don't get it by next year, as a grant as a grant maker, I'm going to expect that you at least figure out a way to do a trailer, a, a two-minute trailer, okay. right? Like that's not a big ask. In a year, you can manage to do a trailer, fifty bucks here, a hundred bucks here. Like you can piece it together, right? And so, you you have to show that you are still making progress, even though you didn't get the funds. But if you're applying to multiple places at the same time with the same project, you're probably going to get money from somewhere to do a pilot, you know, or to do a capsule episode, eight to twelve minutes. Okay. Next. Oh, before you minutes. before you shifted the questions, you were about to say what you did throughout the year for your for your fund. Did it? What, what was I about to say, guys? You, you, you were just about, you said you showed like the report at the end of the year, but throughout the year you, and. Communicate. Oh, communicate. I kept, I yes, okay. thank you. So I kept sending them unsolicited updates. And I came up with a really clever format for that. And uh, my, don't do this unless this is your sense of humor, okay? Just. This is my sense of humor, right? So for example, I would put the, the director's name and then her staff name, and then I would say, thanks for the salad, in the header. <laughs> Instant click. <laughs> <laughs> what salad? <laughs> I'm so looking forward to seeing you in Chicago in a few months. Can't wait for that salad we're gonna enjoy. They eat a lot of salads at the MacArthur Foundation. Um, <laughs> And then I would say, and since you're here, let me tell you how well this episode is doing. Real quick, a 30-second email. I would send those, I would send those like every six to eight weeks. You know, another one would be like, you look awesome today. <laughs> hey, you do. You put yourself together so well every morning. You're rocking it. By the way, we just got such and such and such impressions because of this, right? Do that. They often reply with just a smiley face or ha 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 ha. But they love those. They're not intrusive. I am not asking them to do anything on my behalf. I am not asking for anything. And every email always ends with, we're changing the world. I am so proud of the work we are doing. Thank you for so many ways that you support us. Peace.
right? Every single email. Uh, so I have a question about team building. Obviously the- Oh, that's a separate workshop, honey. Oh, but just a quick one. Uh, obviously the grant application process is very long and yeah. I'm curious about how you can at what point do you start to build a team before or after the grant, and how do you keep them invested throughout before. the process? Before. Okay. you pay them. <laughs> That's easy. You pay them. You don't ask people to work for free. You especially don't ask women to work for free. Ever. That's just irresponsible, okay? Seriously. You love your idea, and you will sacrifice your limbs and your liver for it, but no one else should, okay? So, you know, I have, because I didn't write myself in as executive editor into my original budget, I've worked for free for 70 million this entire year, theoretically speaking, because I didn't write a role for myself. Everybody else I wrote a role for and a, you know, and a salary for. I didn't write one for myself, right? So I, the minute I submitted uh, the concept paper, I just acted like it was gonna happen because the universe has a way of conspiring to make the, your decisions happen. So the minute I submitted it, I was like, oh, let's find a team to do this, right? And it took four months for the entire application process to happen uh, from when I submitted. Well, also, okay, so after the, 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 the concept paper, I had to, I was invited to apply. This is still not official. I was invited to apply. And that was like getting my skin ripped out, ironed, and put back in to my, into myself. I had to submit all kinds of paperwork for my company, had to get a letter from the Secretary of State, had to submit all our back taxes. I mean, it was, Everything, and I think they may have even checked my credit. They probably did check my credit, um, which is very good. But, um, so that was very thorough. Um, and so then I, I, call, I called my advisory board first, and I said, okay, give me five names of people I need to talk to who are freelancers. I talked to 15 people, and then I asked those people for two to three names. I talked to those people, and every person I talked to, I asked for a name. So I ended up talking to between 45 and 50 people to choose my core team of seven. And that took like three months. All right, I think we're out of time. I promise I will stand here and answer everybody else's question. Thank you so much. You guys are beautiful. Bye. That was Juleka Lantigua Williams speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management. <laughs>